Oh, and all my stuff was still in a camera bag. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I saw that the show started really late. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we were only like thirty minutes late last week. So. <laughs> and hey, this week I didn't forget to hit the go live button. So with that, welcome to Talking Heads, everyone. Episode two hundred eighty-nine. Your once-week live show for latest in beer and tech news. I'm Jeff. I'm Rhett. Welcome to the show. You were ready for that one. Thank I you said all. it as you were finishing so I could be on time. <laughs> Thank you all so much for watching on this Wednesday night or in podcast form over on Anchor.fm or wherever your favorite podcasts are found. If you've never seen the show before, we talk beer, we talk tech, we talk games, pop culture, entertainment, sometimes some Star Trek. All Super Chats are read in the air, but if you really want to support the channel, head on over to craftcomputing.store, pick yourself up one of our snazzy new laser-etched pint glasses. Yes. Oh, and and special feature, they're laser etched on the bottom as well to promote nucleation and refresh your head as you drink. Start drinking like a pro, craftcomputing.store. Honestly, I love refreshing my head as I drink. Right? You know what I'm saying? Right? Like, fresh head while you drink, it's the only way to go. It really is. really is. 100%. Uh... Obviously, we do drink alcohol on the show, and if you're drinking along with us, alcoholic or not, let us know in the chat, and we'll give some early show shoutouts as we go along. Last but not least, if you'd like to take part in the super secret chat and the even more super secret after party, think about joining the Patreon. Link is down in the video description. As a bonus, you'll get exclusive access to my Discord server, where you can chat with myself, John, Brett, Steve, all the hosts from Talking Heads, and join the awesome community that hangs out over there. Woo! Wow. We are live. And I think you made up the 10 minutes. Uh, they're about, yeah. Ah. <laughs> uh, How is everybody doing out there? I'm good. Thank you for asking. You yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> no, doing very well. Uh yeah. Um gosh. So many things up in here right now. Uh, I'm taking a couple days off next couple of days. I'm building a deck. What? I'm building a deck. I built a deck. Did you? Well, come, I just finished it today. Well, come build my deck. No. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, my deck wasn't that big. It wasn't that big. But yeah. I'm very proud of it. It looks great. Yeah, so. no, we're, we're tearing the deck off the front of the house tomorrow morning. And uh, over the next oh. over the next two days, we're going to rebuild the whole thing. Uh, completely redoing what it looks like. Because uh, we have a railing up around the whole thing right now. Yeah. And, uh, we're actually taking off the front railing entirely, having steps go down to our lower yard. And then we're going to fence in that lower yard. And so we have the whole space open out from, from our kitchen door. Uh, so that'll be really nice. Uh, we've got a fire pit to put up in there that, uh, we've had in the shed for months. Uh, uh we're gonna, uh, and actually what I want to do is cover the deck section eventually. So put up like yeah, a, like yeah. a little facade or gazebo type thing over the front of the deck so we can barbecue in the winter and, you know, use that extra space. So that's, that's a really good idea. Dang. See, I see. I had a little bit of like just dead space, and in my backyard, part of what makes it really difficult is I got this big pool, and it sounds like, oh, Rhett, you're complaining about having a big pool. Like, right. yeah, it means I have this gigantically weird, unusable oblong space. Right. And we had this big dead spot, so we built the deck, 
But we still have this gigantic section of just like dirt, and it's like, do we just put plants there? Do we put like, flower pots there? Like, you know, somebody suggested a fountain today, which I thought was kind of neat, but it's like, that's maintenance too, you know? And it's still not usable space. It's just something cool to look at then. Exactly, and, yeah. Yeah. Um, my house, for as big as it is, um, it it still has like not quite enough usable space for like entertaining and things like that right. because um it's a split level house and so half the house is where i'm at right now it's it's below grade it's it's where the bedrooms are at you know daylight basement um which is great but it, there's no entertaining down here the yeah um um our living room is not huge it's got a nice vaulted ceiling which i like but it's not huge it's it's 19 by 14 um, which sounds big until you put a couple couches and a fireplace into a space. Um, uh, our dining room and our kitchen are like freaking tiny. Like they are yeah. beyond tiny. Uh, uh, what's funny is most of the houses on this neighborhood have that same problem. It's like, you know, really big bedrooms, you know, moderate size, size living, itty bitty cooking space. Um, yeah. So yeah, uh, eventually we're going to expand the kitchen and the dining room and make that a much bigger, more functional space. But but we're still talking a couple years at least down the road to get yeah. all that moving. Uh, step one is rebuild our deck. Step two, craft studios. Yes. There we go. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I went ahead and cracked my first beer. Uh, this one is from Ex Novo. I've been really, really digging this one lately. Uh, Ryoshi, Japanese style rice lager. Mm, that sounds really good. It is delicious. Uh, I, if I have an opportunity to have a burger or a sandwich or like some kind of like medium lunch, uh, this has been my go-to beer for that as of late. Like it, it's super light, refreshing, crisp, and goes amazingly well with almost anything. I. Uh... I, I made a special trip over to the Benedictine Brewery this afternoon, and I was going to drink uh, their Black Habit, which is a dark lager that I've had before mm -hmm. on the show. Really delicious, really tasty, dark lager, lots of flavor, high ABV. But I've already had uh, two of them this afternoon, <laughs> so I'm switching it up to the Deschutes Fresh Squeezed IPA oh, there you go. out of a can. Yeah. So i got to pump the brakes a little bit or the end of the show will be a lot quicker than we think. Yeah. Uh, so I mentioned the, the laser engraving on the bottom of the glass. Uh, by the way, we do these 100% in-house. Um, uh, cut right here in my garage. Uh, so we laser engrave the outside, and then we laser engrave a pattern on the inside of the glass. And so see all those bubbles rising up? That never stops. And so your your head and your all your aromatics and, and whatnot is constantly being refreshed as you drink. Um uh, in fact, I, uh, a couple days ago, I, I had the first pint glass on uh, a regular uh, craft computing shoot, and I poured one of the flattest uh, beers that I drink, which is a, uh, the Founders All Day IPA. It's a 4.3% 4, 4 session pale. Uh, if, if anyone's ever poured one of those, you know the head just like dies immediately. Uh, I still had a head 20 minutes into that video. <laughs> and I mean, look at this. This is this is a, a session logger and it's same kind of thing, you know? So. Yeah, I saw you were talking about that in the video and I didn't understand what you were talking about back then. Yeah. So, yeah, this is what I'm talking about. Here we go. Let me. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. Wait a minute. 
Okay. See, this is when I almost need like John on the show or something. Like, what's the science behind this? Uh, the science behind this is it's a carbonated beverage. And uh, if you provide a little space at the bottom of your glass, uh, it uh, you know the, the Mentos and Coke uh, yeah. thing where you drop? Uh, same thing. You're providing a little space for a bubble to form uh, where the carbon dioxide will grab onto. And oh. it's just big enough where it will release that bubble and then another bubble forms and then it will release that bubble and another bubble how forms. big How big is big enough? Uh, about that big. <laughs> and that's like a fraction of a millimeter. Oh, yeah. Uh, the uh, A fraction of a fraction. The, the laser that I'm etching this with is a 0 0.08 or no, 0 0.06 millimeter dot. 0 0.06 millimeter is what it etches with. Wow. So, not very big at all, but uh, it it huh. does a lot. And uh, yeah, nucleated glasses are are what you want to search for if you want something like this. Uh, and and when, uh, when did when did you get the idea to do this? Uh, about the time that I started thinking about doing pint glasses. Uh, and uh, that's one of the reasons I wanted this laser is it's a longer focal length. And so I can etch at the bottom of the glass without having to do anything oh, funny. Oh, and that's the new laser. That's the new laser, right. So. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Fun stuff. Yeah. And uh, laser etching versus engraving. Uh, this is a controlled fracturing and re-binding uh, of the glass. Correct. Um, and uh, so it's that nice frosted look, but it's a porous surface because there are like little micro fractures all through it. Um, makes it kind of fun. Gives it a really nice texture. Like I like this yeah, and it's, yeah. it's permanent. Like this, this will never wear out. It's not, it's not going to wash off. Right. Huh? You know, I've been pretty impressed though. Like I've got some of the, you remember those old dairy queen collectors glasses of the blazers? Oh, the old blazers glasses. Yes. Yeah. So I got a bunch of those. And like for years, I was afraid to put them in the dishwasher. And eventually I was just like, who cares? You know what? If I need to, I'll just jump online and I'll buy more of these. Yeah. And I've been putting them into the dishwasher after every single use and not anywhere in tear on these dang things. Yeah. And I'm like, what did Dairy Queen do back then? You know, like, I don't know. Can't be good for the environment. Uh, for, for those who don't know, these are the Blazers yeah. Dairy Queen glasses. Um, they're... <laughs> They're amazing. They're they're iconic. They're they're 1990 through 92 Blazers. Yeah. And uh, it's amazing that I've never ever seen one in bad condition. Like like now yeah. that you mention that, um, I my my brother-in-law has a full set. And uh, yeah, mine too. He's not even he's not even a Blazers fan. It's just his family went to Dairy Queen a lot, and he wound up with a whole set of glasses. And then he goes, "Can I have these?" And they said, "Yeah, sure." And so he has the the full set of nine or whatever. And I've got not one of them has has a paint chip or an enamel break or I've never seen a bad one. No, and I'm telling you, yeah, I, I I've got a glass that I don't see on here. I got. Uh... What's Let's his see, name? Here, here's all um, of them. Butch, it. I've got Buck Williams. Does that sound familiar? I don't know. Buck, Bucky. Well, Buck, there, there's Uncle Cliffy. There's Rod Strickland. There's Terry Porter. Uh, uh, do I gotta Buck, go upstairs Buck and grab Buck Williams? Buck yeah. Williams. There you go. So I've got a Buck Williams one that's different 
and he's wearing like a bomber jacket and he's got his arms spread out really? and he's got a propeller and he's like do it and he's like he's an airplane and he's flying oh that's cool yeah yeah, yeah. uh god i'm fighting every instinct i have to just run upstairs <laughs> and grab it, but <laughs> grab it, <through> it. <laughs> yeah i'm thinking so they must have done multiple runs then because i've seen because the set of nine sounds right but i feel like i've seen more and i've got a different one than those um uh, John asks, any chance of getting a nucleated Pilsner glass? Actually, I am planning on carrying a whole lineup of glassware. Um, one of my, like, sick passions, collectibles, whatever, I love glassware. I love different types of glasses because they were all made for different purposes. And a Pilsner glass is different from a... a uh, Imperial Stout, you know, Nonic pint glass is different from a conical pint. Is different from a Pilsner or an IPA glass. Um, and then you get into the esoterra of like bar stuff. You know, you get your Nick and Nora's, your Coops, your your rocks glasses. I I love glassware um, because it's all part of the experience of of drinking. It's it's all part of you know everything. And uh, so yes, eventually I want CraftComputing.store to be a place that you can go to buy any style glass you want. It's going to take time to get there because I got to design everything. Uh, is do, do I want everything to carry my logo or do I want to come up with some, some new branding? You know, and I kind of went a little bit more subtle where it's just, you know, electronics on this one. Uh, you know, it's got my logo on there, but you don't have to be a fan of my channel. It's not just like a branded craft computing glass. It's something a little bit more unique so but see that's cooler than the stuff that like ltt is putting on their water bottle right type yeah. stuff i mean i know they don't have barware or whatever but mm -hmm. um it looks way cooler it's like you know it's busy but clean mm -hmm. you know it's like not overwhelming it, it's that but... minimalist art style that i really yeah. really like uh, it's it's pretty sweet yeah Oh, but enough about me. Let's go ahead and talk about Apple. Uh, last week, uh, Worldwide Developer Conference was so much and so heavily focused on, obviously, the Apple Vision Pro, uh, their new augmented reality headset. They did announce a couple of big features. Uh, we talked about one other feature uh, last week on the show, and that was that uh, a Proton-like uh, compatibility layer is coming to Mac, so you can play your PC games with you know DirectX 12 and, and Vulkan on Mac because Mac doesn't play well with any <laughs> uh, open graphics standard anymore other than OpenGL. Uh, but there was some other news that was a little bit of a deeper subject that I kind of wanted to talk about, just didn't have time. And that is that uh, Apple also announced their brand new Mac Pro. Uh, uh, sunsetting the final Intel Mac desktop or PC uh, from their entire lineup. Uh, they've now completely refreshed everything from 2020. Took them just over three years. Uh, but Intel no longer makes processors for Macs. Uh, the new Mac Pro, definitely a heavy hitter. Uh, it's their M2 Ultra processor. Uh, 24 cores, uh, the stock one has 60 graphics cores, or if you want to upgrade, you can get 72 graphics cores, all on unified silicon. 
here's a shot of the massive die uh, that the M2 Ultra is. Uh, comes standard with 64 gigs of RAM, which, bravo, thank you, Apple, for finally <laughs> including enough memory on a starter uh, configuration. <laughs> Good God. Uh, $7,000, though. It's, it's, not, it's not cheap, uh, and no one expected, you know, the top-of-the-line Apple Silicon to be cheap. But we were hoping for some kind of a price drop because the Intel 8-core Mac Pro was $6,000. Uh, I, I, I certainly didn't expect their base model to go up in price, especially with the Mac Studio basically having the same hardware. Now, here's where the story gets a little interesting, okay? We've already seen benchmarks from the, the Mac Studio with the, uh, the M2 Pro and the M2 Ultra or M2 Max or whatever the bloody heck, <laughs> uh, you know, post names that, uh, that Apple slaps onto things. Um, we've already seen the M2 Ultra in a desktop. Uh, with Thunderbolt expandability, with unified memory and, and all the other things that Apple's touting that make it, you know, the fastest Mac ever. Um, we've already seen it because it exists in the Mac Studio. In fact, the new Mac Pro is simply a Mac Studio with PCI Express expansion. <laughs> there, There's really nothing else to it. And, and it's also $3,000 more for the same configuration. You're paying $3,000. Now, I don't know what Apple has included in their metal alloys of the Mac Pro case or how much extra fiberglass you're getting on the PCB. There's not a lot more computer here than there is on the Mac Studio. It doesn't have to be. The price increase more than makes up for the decrease in sales. <laughs> right? Right. Yeah, from the people that know what they're looking at, doesn't matter because they're going to always sell just enough to the people that aren't that well informed, that aren't looking as closely, mm -hmm. that got more money than brains. And that $3,000 per sale I, is... I would argue and, and disagree that when you're at the price point of a $7,000 desktop, you, you do know kind of what you're looking for. Um, I hope so. It, it's a reason the 2013 Mac Pro never did very well, uh, is people knew what they were looking for, and it was a machine that had PCI Express expandability and <laughs> more than one SSD slot on board. Uh, like, it was never a huge hit, and and it's because people in that price bracket, people in the three to $7,000 price range, when they're buying a professional studio-grade desktop, know what's required to go into it. Uh, well, let's head over to Apple Store, shall we? Uh, here, we've got a Mac Studio with the M2 Ultra 24-core, 76-core GPU, 32-core neural engine, 120, 192 gigabytes of unified memory, 8 terabytes of storage, dual Thunderbolt 4 ports, and an SDXC hard slot. Oh, it also includes uh, four more Thunderbolt ports around the rear, two USB-A's, an HDMI, and a gigabit Ethernet jack. Oh, and lucky for us, headphone jack. Can't forget that. Um, 
for the low, low price of $8,799. Okay. Now, watch how interesting this is. I'm going I'm to highlight some text here. Okay. I'm going to highlight this right here. Let me go to the next tab. I'm going to highlight this right here. It doesn't change. There's not a word in that that changes. The only thing that changes is the picture. <laughs> it's, a, it's an M2 Ultra, 24-core CPU, 76-core GPU, 32-core neural engine, 192 gigs unified memory, 8 terabyte SSD. Uh, this one, however, is $11,799. Nice. <laughs> Again, I was expecting a price drop. Like, like if you want to charge $800 to $1,000 more to go from a Mac Studio to a Mac Pro, I totally get it. I totally get that jump. Uh, you know, you get the expandability, but from a cost standpoint, from an engineering standpoint, it's the same damn thing. There's nothing different here. They reused the chassis from the Intel Mac Pro. They didn't even need to. They... <sighs> Like, I don't understand where the $3,000 is at here. And I'm someone who quite often has defended Apple in their pricing structure. This one makes no sense. But we're in, like, a post, like, crypto boom sort of tech world where the price of these products is sort of arbitrary, it feels like, you know? Like, look at NVIDIA, and I'm not saying that, like, you know, the 4090 isn't worth its price or whatever, but it certainly doesn't feel in line with what most tech enthusiasts are thinking it should be in line with. Right. And Mac has always been a little bit above even that, you know? They have so they could just um, they can just look at what people have been willing to pay since 20 you know 19 i guess yeah. like i mean when did stuff really get out of control uh kind of the first crypto boom it started to because graphics cards started going up in price and that was like early 2018 um, right. is when the first crypto boom happened and then then we got kind of like an eight eight to twelve month reprieve and then man it went through the roof and just stayed there um, and remember like covid hit and everybody's like you know what i'm gonna do build a pc i'm gonna build a pc <laughs> with a 1200 graphics card yeah, and that, you had all you had all the dads being like, number one, I'm gonna rebuild half my house, and right. then the other dads were like, I'm gonna build a gaming PC. <laughs> I'm gonna put in a new floor and a and a new graphics card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's just from there. At least on, that's man. what all my friends did. <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense, but it doesn't have to. All it has to do is be in line with what everybody else is doing. Yeah. Yeah, it's we're in a weird place with tech, uh, with, with this industry as a whole. And if I'm being honest, I think a lot of the industry still doesn't know where we're at. Not not that I have a firm grasp on it either, uh, but I, I I have some some ideas and inclinations uh, about why things are the way they are. Obviously, inflation, the you know, inflation and record thing, inflation and record <laughs> profits never go hand in hand. That, those those aren't things. Inflation means people are losing their jobs because businesses can't afford to keep them, not 
businesses are making record profits while people are making less money. That's that's yeah. not a thing. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, the obviously the pandemic has a lot to do with this. With uh, supply line shortages. I mean, uh, basically, there's not a single industry that was never hit by supply chain issues of one form or another, whether it was raw materials, manufacturing space, time, uh, transport, every single industry was touched. Everything. Uh, I mean, the the joke for a lot of time was, you know, hey, how much can I sell the roof off my house for? Because plywood is through the roof. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, like man, that... That's a $40,000 roof I got up there. Uh, <laughs> Y'all need some two by fours? I bet I can half up on the studs. Um, <laughs> like, totally kind of a thing. Um, but, uh, you know, prices kind of started to normalize in most industries. Um, and then all of a sudden prices started going up again, but this time with plenty of supply. And, yeah. and that's, that's kind of where we are there. Now, as far as the tech industry in general, there's also been this resurgence of competition. And like I said, unlike we've seen since the turn of the, of the century, almost 25 years ago now, of uh, every single piece of technology leapfrogging every six months. Yeah. Uh, and, and I mean leapfrogging in a massive way. Uh, you know, th there was a time you could build a 233 megahertz Pentium 2 and be the biggest, baddest PC on the block. And within 24 months, your friend goes, hey, I just built a one gigahertz <coughs> PC. Like, like, there was a 24-month period in which that was a possibility. And it... To me, it feels like we're there again. Uh, and the the prices of hardware reflect a little bit about uh, what we saw back in those days of, uh, you know, the all new, you know, Pentium 3 is out. You know, it, it's a 1.42 gigahertz CPU and then Pentium 4 and Pentium 4 Extreme Editions and whatnot. We, we went... 20-fold in processing technology in about five years from 99 to 2004 and it was insane yeah and then it kind of leveled off for a couple of years and then we, we were like well we've taken single threaded processing as far as we can go let's start putting more processors in so then all of a sudden the the dual cores and and some of the early quad cores started coming out uh but they weren't leaps and bounds faster anymore uh it just had more processing power you know, how much of that, and I've, I've been thinking about this, is like, how much of that do you think could be tied to the state of the economy in general versus like the ability to make, well, not the ability to make, but like, I guess like the state of the economy, the power of the economy versus the power of the science and engineering itself. You know what I mean? I, I think there's been a lot of breakthroughs in the way we construct a lot of different things. Um, in so for if we're looking specifically at um, you know transistors and and you know the the makeup of silicon and whatnot, um, there's not been any like major breakthroughs in the physical construction of those. But I think the way that people are putting together to get better results out of them has has right. changed. The the 
the actual architecture is is starting to fundamentally change um and so yeah we're seeing you know instruction sets you know that have long remained at the same speed or you know we got maybe seven percent a year instead of 50 to 75 percent per year do you realize from 10th gen we're almost two and a half times as fast to just to 13th gen intel uh wow. with amd from that same time period it's even more um and with nvidia and and amd on the graphics side of things it's it's even more than that you know if you go back to pascal which was just three generations ago um uh we have leapfrogged in a way that's just absolutely insane and for the last for 15 years prior to that we didn't see those kinds of leaps and so part of it is there really is a benefit to buying higher there really is better technology out there this year than there was last year and there is an incentive for for consumers businesses whatever to go out and buy that newest tech um we as consumers haven't gotten our brains around what the price structure is anymore now because right. for a while price was the only competitive <coughs> measure because it's like oh either i go fast and i buy intel or i buy cheap and i go amd you know get a hundred dollar you know six core processor from amd or i'm gonna buy a 400 dollar i7 like that used to be the market not that long ago uh, and, right. and now all of a sudden it's like, no, they're price competitive with each other. Have you seen the price drops on like fifth gen uh, Ryzen chips? You can get a 5600G for like 130 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Six cores, 12 threads, uh, seven nanometer second generation Ryzen, 130 bucks. And, and that chip is half the speed of the 7600 like it's it's <laughs> mental the, the what we've gone through you know over the last couple of years and so when we say the 4090 is not worth it it actually kind of is if you like price comparison and whatever else um sure you're not paying that much more for that much more power uh especially if you compare it to like the 3090 which was the same price two years ago um yeah. you know it's not that absurd to to say yeah the newest thing is just this much more um, so consumers and reviewers really haven't gotten their heads around what the new paradigm is for expectations for performance. And I'm actually doing a full video on the eight gigabytes of video RAM thing. Uh, oh, 5600 G 120 on Amazon right now. Oh, and, and in my area it was next day. It, it was overnight shipping. Um, uh, we haven't really gotten our heads around what we should expect performance-wise per dollar because it's it's been a constantly moving target for so long. Uh, we're used to going, yeah, here's last year's stuff. We're 15% better now. Enjoy. These are the results. And then all of a sudden, the, the prices fluctuate so much and performance is being doubled up so often. Where do you aim as far as a reviewer goes? Like standardized tench batch has worked for a long time. They don't tell the whole story anymore. Uh, and that's been one of my arguments and kind of why I started my channel is, is I, I don't believe that one single suite of tests will tell you what's good for a consumer and what's not. Uh, but yeah, th this is all gonna come out in a, is eight gigabytes enough in the modern day? Uh, and I've got a really interesting take on it that's 
not going to make some people happy. But at the same time, it's it's got to be said. So, yeah. Buckle up. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, is $3,000 of an upsell on the Mac Pro worth it? I don't think so. But I also don't have seven PCI expansion cards that I need to put into my Mac Pro. Uh, that here's the real here's the real metric. Mm -hmm. How important is three thousand dollars to you? That's that's a great question. <laughs> if three thousand dollars doesn't mean anything to you, then this might be the PC that you need. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and more power to you, man. Spend it where you want to. Yep. Um, but you know, to me. Uh, that's that's it's a significant sum you know so right i'm gonna be i'm gonna be passing on the mac pro this time uh, yeah yeah <laughs> i want one i so want one um <laughs> of course right, why not right uh i mean as, as an enthusiast of course i want one uh but <laughs> can i justify one no <clears throat> send some emails to apple yeah yeah i'm sure you know, you know be, we were just down in their neck of the woods. We should have thought we by. flew over their campus for crying out loud. Could have dropped him some business cards from the plane. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Little airplanes coming out. <laughs> yeah. Pew, pew. No, not over there. <laughs> uh, ah, crap. It landed at Citrix. I was trying to think of some company that we saw, yeah. and all I could think of was AMD, and I was like, well, that wouldn't be the worst. But I was like, what's another one? The Citrix campus was right there. You can't use the $600 wheels on the studio. You need the Pro for that. That is absolutely a point. So, Well, with enough determination, you can use the $600 wheels on whatever you want. That's right. And I, and I stand by I, that. I I can, I can TIG weld. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm not a professional, but I can do it. Dang it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, anyway, you know what? We do have a sponsor that we need to talk about. There's, yeah, we do. And there's no better way to segue than by just uh, doing it. So today's episode of Talking Heads is brought to you by Linode. If you've ever needed to host your own servers, you also need know you yeah. hosting your own servers also means you get to host all your own problems. Let's just back up a little bit there. And even the most skilled network engineer will tell you you should decentralize your network. So why not host your services with Linode? If it runs on Linux, it'll run on Linode. That includes software for most of the tutorials on my channel, like how to run your own ad blocking, recursive DNS servers, VPN gateways, your own cloud-based Plex servers, and more. They offer shared CPU plans for as little as $5 per month and can scale as high as you need to go, whether it be virtualized hosting, dedicated enterprise GPUs, or NVMe block storage. Even if you do host your own servers, you can use Linode to keep a backup off-site. Because remember, RAID is not a backup. Linode is also expanding at light speed, with 12 new global data centers planned before the end of 2023. Visit Linode.com slash Craft Computing and get a $100 60-day credit just for signing up for a new account. That's Linode.com slash Craft Computing. And again, a huge thanks to Linode for sponsoring today's episode. Thank you, Linode. Yes. Thank you so much, Linode. Yep. 
Yep. You guys rock. And we can drink for another day. I spilt my beer, so I'm drinking Buffalo Trace now. I was wondering what happened to your beer. It's like, man, you slammed that thing. No, I dumped about six ounces out on my chair on accident. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm like in this big armchair, right? And like right next to me, the cushion, like it it flares out when you sit in it. And usually you jam your can in there. Uh Uh-huh. And as I leaned forward to type something to somebody, I leaned back and my can was completely upside down. Oh, no. (laughs) It just dumped right into my poor armchair, which is okay. These aren't my favorite chairs by any stretch of the imagination, but (laughs) But it was a waste of a great beer. So luckily I did pour a little bit of Buffalo Trace before. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, you're really going to be upset at my next one then. <laughs> I usually am, though. That's the problem. See, Jeff noticed Jeff noticed it very keenly. I decided to, uh, all of May, uh, I, I went dry. I didn't oh. drink any alcohol, for the most part. I had, like, one cheat day. And uh, and he noticed very acutely that uh, I, I didn't make it onto a talking heads, except for when we were down in California. So. <laughs> That's right. On <laughs> the, last the last day, day. of May. <laughs> He's like, screw it, it's three o'clock. <laughs> I was like, it counts. I don't care. I started a week early anyway. I did like five whole weeks. You know, we'll go Eastern time and then there's the whole like daylight savings. Ah, close enough. I think the thing that blows my mind the most, I lost like 18 pounds mm-hmm. just from not drinking as much. <laughs> like, well, Rhett, the reason I, I had you on the show today is you know, <laughs> your friends are all concerned. Yeah, you need to get your weight back on, man. You're not healthy. <laughs> Way ahead of uh, you. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Gosh. Now, uh, is clear is clear alcohol better for weight gain? or? <laughs> uh, no, actually, you need to start doubling up on your pastry stouts. So. Pastry stouts, yeah. Have two of these and call me in the morning. <laughs> And make sure to call your ex at midnight. <laughs> Always do, especially after drinking pastry stouts. <laughs> it's it's the sweets, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. This makes me nostalgic. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, I do have another beer that has been kind of mildly chilling in the fridge. Uh, I, I had it in cellar temp, but uh, brought it up, put it in the fridge. So I'm going to go snag that real quick. You snag it. I'm not going to talk about Morrowind whatsoever today. To do that one. There we go. What up? Check me out. Lounging. Got this big old chair. Um. So, how's everybody? How's everybody doing tonight? We uh, halfway through June. Isn't that crazy, man? Was begging for summer, and here we are. Well, we're not quite in summer technically, but Oregon's about to hit some crazy weather. You know, kind of like Morrowind does uh, when the ash storms hit. So, <laughs> what did I miss there? I don't know. I couldn't think of anything. So I talked about the weather and then tied it into Morrowind somehow. <laughs> I was going to say I'm surprised we're not in Morrowind right now. We were. That was the last uh, thing I said. That's great. All, all I uh, came back to was so. <laughs> <laughs> there will be a new video hit in Craft Extra soon. If you guys like uh, narrative-driven 
uh, video games, like choose your own adventure type things, doing a little analyses on the game Road Warden, which I highly recommend if you guys like that type of stuff. It is like a fantasy novel in game format. And it costs I, the same as like a mass market paperback. So. I, I am looking forward to your review of this one. So it's 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 a great game, man. I've played through it like three times now, and mm-hmm. it's like there's not a huge variation in in like there is and there isn't. You know, it's just like it's all there, and you can kind of hit so much of it if you're determined in one playthrough. But it it's it's interesting how it unfolds. It's just such a unique, fun fantasy world nice nice uh i said it's like a fantasy book almost i finally got sucked into hades um Mm. yeah i know i i've been a lot of a lot of my friends know i've been on a a roguelike kick uh for like six months like like i finally started going through my back library and uh, I'm like, I'm going to start just playing all the roguelikes. And so I went uh, Streets of Rogue, Noida, and uh, and now I'm into Hades. And holy crap, Hades slaps. <laughs> it goes so hard. I can't believe it took you this long. I know. I was talking to you about it all the time. I know. I feel so bad. that. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. That game is so good. Yep. It's one of those games, like, I remember, like, and I came at it from a weird way because I had just played Hyperlight Drifter, which is mm-hmm. so funny because I was I, I went back on my Steam Deck when we were in California and I was playing Hyperlight Drifter uh-huh. when when we were down there. And I was like, oh, yeah, this game is really good. <laughs> um, and I remember I was Googling, like, what to play after Hyperlight Drifter? And somebody's like, well, it's not – it doesn't quite have, like, the same sort of, like, Zelda-like exploration aspect. Uh-huh. But some of the fighting combat stuff is sort of similar. Hades. <laughs> and I had seen people on Twitter talking mad about it, but it just didn't seem like my thing. And I, I was like, whatever. I picked it up on sale on my Switch. And holy crap, I remember like dying right away. And it, you just, you're reborn. You keep going. I was like, oh no. I love roguelites. The dopamine. <laughs> that explain the, the death and resurrection like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Where it's. Uh, uh, it, and and it's perfect in, in the way they do it because uh, you you are the son of Hades, uh, the the lord of the underworld, and you're trying to escape the underworld. And uh, so what happens is you are battling Hades demons floor by floor as you work your way up, and and you're trying to reach Mount Olympus to to become a god. And and if you can make it there, if you can set foot on Mount Olympus, the gods will will accept you as one of them. But until you do that. You're stuck down there, and every time you die, you're cast back into the into the 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 river of the dead, and you come out drenched in blood, and you'll come out and go, God, skeletons. <laughs> yeah, dude, and it gets so crazy, and you're like, oh, just when you get bored of like the way combat's unfolding, you're like, oh wait, I can unlock multiple weapons. Right. Oh wait, I can unlock different styles with these weapons. Oh, and it's just like, it just doesn't stop. It has like the perfect amount of depth. Yeah. And I think that they're working on a sequel. Yeah, they are working on um, a sequel. Um, yeah, man. Don't let that one sleep. If you can if you can beat it, it's really worth it. Yeah, like, I, I've been grinding out at the last 
two or three days uh, when I have any off time. Uh, I've been playing so it on my... Uh, I, I was looking for games that I can play easily on my uh, Aya Neo Air because mm. I love the yeah. form factor. It, it's super tiny. It's super good for handheld. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's how I played it too. I, I mean, I played it on the Switch, but you know, yeah, yeah. like same way. I, I never played it on the TV. It was just like something I could have with me and, mm -hmm. and pick it up and, and go for it. And it's like, you know, when you get when you get to where you're making an end game, like every time it's like, okay, a run takes you maybe 45 minutes to an hour or whatever, but like, that's a perfect session, you know? Yeah. And like, and there's plenty of easy pause points in between. It's just like, it's perfect for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, dude, when you beat Hades, highly recommend something like Hyperlight Drifter, which scratches that old school Zelda itch nice. of like, you know, like almost like links to the past, like navigation stuff. Yeah. Um, the combat's a little bit, like more intense but it's not hard and like it's it's the perfect difficulty level in where it's like yeah if you die you're set back a little bit but it's mm -hmm. not like it, there's not like a game over yeah you just keep trying you know what was that um gosh there's uh oh moonlighter you ever play moonlighter oh yeah, yeah. of course i love moonlighter yeah moonlighter is so good and that's what i was going to say about uh the, the games that justify the way you die, like Children of Morta is one mm -hmm. of those too. That's really good. It's kind of that top-down roguelike uh, style. But it, guys, if you want the ultimate roguelike game, oh, no. Caves of Cud, oh, am okay. I right? Okay. Anybody played Caves of Cud? Oh my God, expect a video on that someday. I haven't played Caves of Cud. Have you played Cave Blazers? Cave Blazers. I don't even think I've ever heard of that. Oh, I got one on you. Yes. <laughs> uh, stupid simple five dollar GOG game. Um, and it it's just a roguelike. It is uh, you you are spelunking down a cave, and it's not spelunk, uh, but uh, you're trying to collect treasure in a cave, and uh, random every time, new weapons every time, that kind of thing. But it's a uh, it's a side-scrolling platformer uh, with with some combat mechanics, and uh, it's fantastic. Yeah, uh, it, that sounds it is great. A heck of a lot of fun. Um, it, it's it's like a roguelike meets like a Metroidvania kind of, yeah. <laughs> and I think it's nice. five dollars on GOG, and and you'll easily lose 10, 20 hours into it. <laughs> uh, so, dude, aren't games amazing? Yes. That's just crazy. Uh, it, it, what's wild is. I went on Twitter. I, I don't go on Twitter very. God, this dude, looks good with a, a stout in it. Beautiful beer, right? In that glass, right? too, man. Isn't that good? Wow. <laughs> um, Incredible. So, not to interrupt, but I, I do have to introduce the beer. Uh, Breakside Brewing. I just had Breakside. Did you have so their black good. and tan? No, I didn't. I had their IPA. Did, did you have their barrel aged black and tan? That wasn't an option, or, or I might have, knowing how good it looks. Oh, if I could have seen your face, I might have ordered it if they had it's, it. It's like, it's like bourbon and maple syrup is, is about what it oh. smells like. Yeah. Maybe oh. a little sweeter. It's a little, it's a little, little lighter, a little sweeter. More, more like a uh, super rich vanilla mm. than, than a maple. Oh. Yo, dude, let's just talk about vanilla for a second, right? Why does vanilla get such a bad rap? I have no idea. It's the second best of all the flavors. Right? 
Behind what? <laughs> chocolate? <laughs> Don't say it. No, not chocolate. <laughs> um, behind, behind pickles. You're right. Right, right. <laughs> behind cheese. <laughs> yeah, cheese flavor? <laughs> cheese is hard to beat. <laughs> cheese? Well, and what's amazing about cheese, you got a huge array of cheese. Right. You know? Right. Like, you a fan of, like, blue cheese or no? Not not particularly. Oh, man. Um, oh, man. Yeah. See, I was I was wondering, because it's like, man, with cheese, you got, like, that's... That's a whole world right there, man. That's yeah. a whole... But see, that's vanilla, though, too. Vanilla is deceiving. Of vanilla. Yeah. Right, that's what I'm saying, you know? And when you look at it, okay, like in the ice cream wars, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you got the pizza wars. Yeah. Pineapple or no pineapple. Well, in the ice cream wars, you got vanilla or chocolate, right? And people like to talk about, oh, well, chocolate, you know, it's the superior flavor. Vanilla may as well be the anti-flavor. And what I want to say is that if you are willing to open yourself up to the world of nuance that is vanilla, that it, it's just like, man, you got a whole new life ahead of you, reborn into the vanilla game. See, you, you yeah. know, there for me, and, and again, I'll come back to like strawberry. Uh, for me, it's like I, I I love all flavors equally, which is why I'm a huge Neapolitan fan. <laughs> <laughs> there you so, go. Give me my chocolate and my vanilla, and and separate them with some strawberry. <laughs> Done. <laughs> the perfect ice cream. See what I tell everybody? It's like Morrowind. Okay, you can go <laughs> off and you can mod it as much as you want. You can run 200 mods like Tech Syndicate does. But eventually, you always come home to vanilla. <laughs> come home to Simple Ricks. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, perfect. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> Thank you for setting uh, that up <laughs> so perfectly. I couldn't have done it even if I tried. <laughs> come home to vanilla. Come home to Simple Ricks. <laughs> Not gonna lie, dude. The Rick Lantis mix-up is like the best episode. It's <laughs> it really so good. Is. It's so good. Yeah. Uh, I I do like the Parasite episode. Like that one's really good as well. Um, but oh, wait, the Parasite episode. Uh, like they're, where they're in the like thing where it comes out of them and they're like no 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 there uh, there there's parasites living in the house that pretend to be their loved ones. Oh yeah, that was. That's a classic. Sleepy Gary, how do I know I'm yeah, real? Yeah, yeah, you're right. No, that's a classic. I don't know why that's never... That felt like such a... I don't want to say obvious. I couldn't have come up with that, I, you know? But it's like, it's like, of course, Rick and Morty, you know? Like... I am and really not a f- that the Rick Lantis yeah. mix-up isn't. They, they all yeah. are, but right. it's just... Uh, I'm really a fan of, of episodes like that. To me, yeah. that felt like a Star Trek holodeck episode. Uh, because, because you have this giant universe where everyone can be anything that they want to be. And, and, you know, you can tell stories as, as big as everything is, and you condense that story into a living room. And yeah, they, they call that a submarine episode. Right. And, and I, I love that type of storytelling. I, I hate when every single episode has to outdo the one before it, uh, which, I think we can get into some strange new worlds talk. Uh, I know you haven't seen the the first, but uh, that's kind of no, why but... I liked 
season one. You have to watch these. By the way, it's on my Plex server now. So, um, hook a brother up. Right. Uh, uh, you know what? I'm going to send you the credentials while we're talking. Please uh, do because I I watched the trailer like you know when the trailer for season two came out just recently, and I was like, dang, I'm missing out. You you really are. <laughs> Oh, and just like how excited you were for uh, the like lower decks cameos and yes. everything like that. Yeah, that got me. I was like, so live long and like, prosper, man. Mr. Bremler. You live also in law too. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Star Trek's doing what like Star like what Star Trek fans wish they were doing like 20 years ago. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um. I, I will say Discovery could have been the death of, of Star Trek. It really could have been. Oh, man. Discovery's great, though. <sighs> but Discovery so... suffers from that same problem that I just mentioned. Of Every episode has to outdo the one before it. You don't take time yeah. to just explore a character arc. You don't take time to, like... Yeah, but then didn't... No, like, didn't... no one's leaving this bar until we figure out who killed someone. Like, like... But didn't like Picard season three, like every episode outdid the last episode? Yes and no, because there's a couple episodes that take place. There's one episode that takes place in the holodeck, like the entire thing. And it involves a couple of the greatest scenes in Star Trek history. Uh, And so, so yeah, it, it outdid it, but it outdid it with storytelling. Um, And... I like, we don't get 90s Trek anymore because we don't get 26 episode seasons anymore. We don't have time yeah. to... We get the like prestige arcs now. Right. We we don't have time to follow Keiko in her battle against Space Karen for teaching, you know, all-inclusive curriculum. Uh, like that was an entire story arc, not just an episode, an arc in DS9. Uh it, it had its own couple of dedicated episodes. And whereas you won't even I mean, get a footnote or a mention in modern TV because modern TV is 10 episodes. Yeah. Which is why I like so much what Strange New Worlds Yeah, it's a return did. to formula in a way. It's a return to formula in they're trying to get away from standard action TV formula from today. They're saying you know what? What if we need to solve a mystery on sickbay? And yeah. that's where the whole episode takes place. What if we take an episode and affirm Uhura as a character? What yeah. if we ex- what if what if Spock and t- and, uh, uh, and his bride to be switched bodies accidentally and and they both have responsibilities? Like like let's freaky Friday this. Like you get 10 episodes to win over an entire generation of Star Trek fans. And they freaking nailed it. <laughs> like, there's not yeah. a bad episode in that first batch, including the holodeck episode, which was like the... Uh, there's a space entity uh, that is telepathic that wanted to play a game and uh, played a game with, with the Star Trek crew by making them think they were all characters out of a book. And only two of the characters in the show knew they were being messed with and they have to, like, regain control of the ship and, and rescue the crew and stuff. And it ended up uh, to preem, thank you. Uh, and it ended up being a really heartstring tuggy kind of episode. Yeah. 
But you know, like that's that's the best thing about episodic television in a way. Mm-hmm. And I remember when the serialized nature of like sort of prestige TV began gaining traction. It really happened after things like Band of Brothers kind of took off. Like these mini series did really well. Like, well, what if we could bring this to cable TV and we can do like really serialized, story-focused, progressional things. And that was great for a short time, but you know what I find myself returning to time and time again when I want to watch TV? I don't want to go through the 10-episode-long story of something again. I want to be able to just go and get my dopamine fix in 45 minutes. Yeah. And that's why I keep going back to episodic television. You know, it's like I'm going back through... And I've watched I've watched TNG a million times. I'm going back through the X Files. I'm going back nice. through shows, um, you know, like other other pursuit, like White Collar, um, Leverage, or Lev. Exactly, yeah. you know, you like can duck in, you can duck in, you can duck out. You get your dopamine exactly. drip. Yeah, it's it's a and you don't lose anything if you fall asleep and wake up right a couple episodes later. My, my wife and I do do the very very similar things. Where constantly in our house we've got something playing on the TV where we binge watch without sitting down and like binge watching, but there's yeah. usually something going on. And, uh, you know, right now she's going through, uh, without a trace and criminal minds. She's kind of bouncing back oh, and forth yeah. between those. Um, I don't do a lot of the, the cop murder mysteries or anything like that, but I, I do really like, uh, you know, leverage and, and, and shows like that. Uh, yeah. you know SG1 and SG1 is another great example yeah uh, where... and you know yeah a lot of these shows are able to deliver really great stories in 45 minutes you move yep. on with your life yep. and you get another one you want to talk about episode that has no bearing anywhere else in the entire like dude look at TNG's like inner light or whatever mm-hmm. a whole episode that takes you away from the trials and tribulations of the Enterprise, away from all the characters that you love, introduces you to this other stuff. Mm-hmm. And by the time you're done, man, you just like it's a tearjerker for sure. Yeah. You're just like, holy crap, man! And any and like so many shows have copied that sort of like format, like a, a whole lifetime in a blink of an eye type situation. Yeah, you know? like even even a show like Adventure Time, which has like eight and a half minute episodes animated, right? Like they've done stuff like that too. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, that's what makes stuff like Futurama really easy to watch because you just yep. pop in, pop out, do your thing. Like, uh, you know, as far as like some of this prestige TV stuff goes, like for example, like I'll I love Andor, Star Wars, you know, and I'll talk about it all the time how great it is, and and uh, you know, at this point I've watched it twice through, but it's a little difficult when you want to go back and watch it, and maybe this was a little different when it was when this type of television was newer because i remember going back and watching something like band of brothers all the time picking and choosing the band of brothers episodes that i loved Mm -hmm. but with something like andor and maybe it's just i'm older i don't know but it's like i wanted to go back and watch some of it and it's like man there's a lot to get through to get to the scenes that i want to see you know i just wasn't able to quite do it the same way that i can yeah with an episodic television show i don't know man that's cool. I'm a big fan of the way that they're doing that with, with Star Trek. Like, you know, hitting it with Lower Decks, hitting it with Strange New Worlds. Like, yeah. No, it's 
It's what every Star Trek fan has wanted for a long time. You yeah, know? It, it, we we just wanted that universe to continue. It's what every Star Wars fan has wanted for a long time. Is we no. just want continuations of that universe. But what I'll say, what I'll say about what you said about Discovery, it's what every Morrowind fan has wanted for a long time. Exactly, one hundred percent. What I'll say about what you said about Discovery could have been the death of Star Trek, and like maybe you're right. I don't know. It's like I, I'm a pretty easy audience for the most part, and I'll fully admit this. Like I want to, I want to be on your side when I'm watching your show. But it's like if Enterprise didn't do Star Trek in, oh, as soon as I go against you, you turn me up now. <laughs> If Enterprise didn't do Star Trek in, then like Discovery was better than Enterprise every step of the way, you know. Like, and Enterprise did some interesting things. We like a, a lot of people look at Enterprise with rose-colored glasses anymore because Enterprise was the only thing that we got post Voyager. It came out completely after Voyager was done, and mm -hmm. so like the. The swath of, and, and in fact, Voyager gets looked at with a lot of rose-colored glasses, too. Like, oh, remember when every single new Star Trek that has ever come out, there's been, I will never give up the original series. Next generation, screw those guys. And it's like, oh, that's really good. Like, let's start one. DS9, it's a space station. They can't go boldly if they can't go any. Oh, DS9's actually really freaking good, too. Voyager, well, yeah. who are these? Okay, it's all right. And then... But then it's like you, you you circle the wagons and you go like, this is my Star Trek. And then one one new one comes out. You're like, I will do. And then there's a new Star Trek and you're like, okay, we'll accept Enterprise, but Discovery, you stay away. That is totally yeah. the fandom that happened. And there's a lot of parallels with like Star Wars fandom and, and whatnot when it comes to that. You know, because remember when the prequels were hated? And now they're almost loved. Right. Man. Like... It's so weird Full how it's around because, because I've I've been a prequels apologist uh -huh. my whole life, <laughs> and all of a sudden, like all of a sudden, that's not unusual. Mm -hmm. Like, and maybe, maybe, and that it's so weird, and it actually bothers me a lot. And that's what I was going to say earlier about jumping on Twitter for the first time in a couple of weeks is like. It's so toxic the way that everybody just thinks that they know what's best about what's coming out yeah. in general. Yeah. Like I'm looking at video games discourse and oh my God, can you believe the shitstorm that stirred up when fucking, oh, sorry, <laughs> Todd Howard, Todd Howard said that Starfield was going to have was going to be locked at 30 frames per second. And I'm just like, who cares? So 30 is, frames is enough. So is Tears of the Kingdom, and there's not one PC fanatic out there who is defending against that. Because not one. Because it, because it, oh, well, it's stylized, Jeff. It doesn't need to be 60 frames per second. It looks like a cartoon. I can have cartoon frames. Dude. These people, I swear to then God. Then neither does do Super Meat Boy. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. This is how they think. And I'm mm -hmm. just like... And all of a sudden, it's making me think about Star Wars, which is like one of these things that... I mean, when John Boyega first showed up... Yeah. In the trailer for Force Awakens, the internet erupted with negativity. A black stormtrooper? How does that make sense? Um, justify that. The, the, the same way you justify Tamora Morrison was the original stormtrooper. 
<laughs> yeah. See, genius. I've never even thought about that. But that makes perfect I sense. I never you know? understood like... what the hit was. What are you talking about? A black. The only stormtrooper we've ever seen with their helmet off is Luke Skywalker when he goes. You know, you're a little short to be a stormtrooper, yeah. aren't you? Yeah. Name another stormtrooper who has ever taken their helmet off. Who was not impersonating a stormtrooper in the first place? <laughs> That's a great point. I did. I've never thought about that before, but that you nailed it. You know, bigot's gonna pick it. <laughs> Dang it! It's been so long coming up with other arguments. Uh, I love that I blew your mind with a prequel argument. <laughs> like that's. And I'm the prequel apologist, man, and I have been for so long, dude. Like, and Kenobi comes out, and I'm just like. This is the perfect follow-up to the prequels. I loved every second of it, you know, man? Like, yeah. And people always have something to say about it. And and it's the same thing with Star Trek. Like, And I'll be the first to admit, like, you know, DS9 is really good. Do I, do I connect with it the way I do TNG? No. Voyager is great. Do I connect with it mm -hmm. the same way I connect with it with DS9? No. Enterprise has a place in my heart because it was on TV when I was at, at a certain age. Mm -hmm. And and I was watching Enterprise before I liked Star Trek. Does that make sense? Not really. I didn't like Star Trek until well at like fourth season of Enterprise. And then all of a sudden I was like, yo, well, at TNG, like this is great. You know, and that's where I started my whole journey. Yeah. With a YouTube video of all things. It, singing Picard, man. Um and and so the fact that they can continue to put out things that are so historically revered that are looked at so kindly by the eyes of history but like the people in the moment can't just shut up and watch it man and that's why like discovery i don't know you know it's like i watch discovery and i'm like it's different from the trek that i love but it's it's way better than Enterprise was, and I watched the crap out of Enterprise, you know. Um, I don't know. Yeah, red alert. Here we go. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that wasn't quite rant worthy enough. No, I didn't quite get there. I no. did accidentally drop an f bomb when talking about Todd Howard, but uh, as one does. That's <laughs> just like I can't believe that people are complaining about thirty frames per second. Granted, like I'm the guy that like. Well, you know, film takes place at 24 frames per second, and that's all we need. Why do you need more in a video game? <sighs> there are, I will say, there are so many hang-ups with PC culture when it comes to elitism. Uh, yeah. That FPS is one. FPS is one. Um, and it's been that way for a long time, and it's, it's gotten worse over the last five years, where... Um, you know, if anything drops below 90, it's basically unplayable to me. Um, though, like the human eye can't even detect 90 frames per it second. It can. It can. Can it, though? Yes, it can. Yes, it can. Uh, I'll admit to being one of the inferior humans, uh, then. Because, I, I, like, I will I need, say... All I need I, is, like, 40 or 45 frames. Here, here's That's the like deal. all I need. Here's the deal. Um, your eye cannot necessarily discern a difference between... 60 and 75 what it can tell a difference between is 
easily is 60 to 120, 60 even to 90 and 90 to 120. The other thing that your eye can see is inconsistent frame rates. And I've always said consistency trumps overall speed. If if I'm getting an average of 240, but a 1% low of 70, that's, yeah, that's jarring beautiful. to your eye. Yeah, I would much rather get an average of 90 with a low of 74 because you're talking millisecond, di- you know, one millisecond differences between between frame delivery at that point. Um, and same thing, you know, 144 with a low of 100. Like I'm totally cool with that. That as a as a as a benchmark. Uh, if I see, and this is the reason I always test Borderlands three or, or now uh, uh, Tiny Tina's Wonderlands is that game engine has a problem going from scope fire back to hip and back to scope is it will always stutter. And it's very noticeable. It's noticeable in game, but it's a consistent stutter. And so it shows you a worst case scenario when I'm benchmarking cards. Um, And and it's a great way to demonstrate that. Uh, But it's also a great way to demonstrate when low frame rates are acceptable because that stutter happens at the same point every single time. Yeah. See, and Green Protagonist says here in the comments, Linus proved that higher FPS does scale ability in-game. Reaction can improve. Yes. And to that, what I say is like, if the difference between 120 FPS and 60 FPS like what I, what I want to understand is like how does that your reaction can approve but how does that quantify into your ability in the general public into a because better you're, gaming experience you're not going you're not going pro based off of the difference between 60 and 120 right. in fact if if you're playing a game how does that even impact your MMR rating Right. Like it doesn't, right. you know what I'm saying? If you suck at the game, 60 frames isn't going to make a difference. Right. You stuck at the game. What, what I will say is... You need to study the maps. You need to study the game. And you just got to get better at predicting what people are doing. I've played games at 30 FPS my whole life, and I'm not, I'm not going pro anytime soon. Do you know what you're arguing here? You're arguing that, that gear doesn't matter. You're, you're it going, doesn't. No, 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 but follow me, okay? You're arguing that gear doesn't matter. That if you're going to produce the art, just go out and produce the art. Doesn't matter what camera you have, what it, what guitar you're <laughs> playing on, what drums you have. But at a certain point, it does um, because depends on what you want to do. It it kind of does, but also it kind of doesn't because if I grab, you know, if a professional guitar player walks into Guitar Center, they can make a hundred and twenty dollar guitar freaking sing. But that's sure. because they've spent a lifetime learning how to make that instrument sing. And I guarantee when they get on a better instrument, that instrument is still going to sound better. Versus a beginner, you're going to suck just as much on a $120 guitar as you are on a $3,000 and a $10,000 guitar. Yeah, uh, but a, but a $10,000 guitar isn't going to make you into Jimi Hendrix. It's not. You know what I'm saying? But if you're three quarters of the way there, it will make you better than you are now. And, and that's where example- gear starts to matter. The instrument example is exactly where I was going to, to to go myself. But it's like, dude, Brian May from Queen, Queen. built a guitar with his dad mm-hmm. as a 10-year-old. 
never played another guitar after that. Mm -hmm. He recorded every single Queen album, played every single Queen show on that guitar. Mm -hmm. uh, and unless the guy was a freaking professional ethere, I don't know, maybe he was. I don't think he was. I don't know. When I hear you built a guitar with your dad as a 10-year-old, I imagine that it's got to be like halfway ass. <laughs> the guitar doesn't look great. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's great. I'll admit that I have no idea. But I'm just like, Brian May played the same guitar his whole freaking life. He mm -hmm. didn't upgrade to some upscale $10,000 Gibson. Right. Like, and okay, I get this, Brian May or whatever, but. And and I guess I'm posing this argument to the wrong person because you use. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm not going to continue I, that. No, but it's true. <laughs> and I, you, but that's exact. I was going to make the same um, concession myself. It's just I, like. I, I will say, I will say, <laughs> as. As a musician, um, uh, I'm going to relate this to someone that, or to something that not a lot of people will understand, will get. Uh, I am a clarinet player. Uh, I've played on dozens of, of different clarinets from intermediate to like $4,000 clarinets. Um, when I was starting out, would I have been better served by playing on a beginner clarinet? Uh, a intro, an, you know, an introductory wooden clarinet instead of a plastic starter one, or should I have jumped straight to a professional clarinet? Um, there would have been no difference. There's no difference in my learning curve from one to the other. What I will say is, once I was at the skill level that you're starting to pull nuances and and technique yeah. and and certain sound profiles and everything else. I spent $400 on a mouthpiece. I, I spent yeah. $350 on a barrel. And the way I bought that barrel was I ordered 10 from a company and I played those 10 different barrels to see which barrel sounded the best. And then I sent the other nine back. So I do understand from a musician that the sound you personally are going for can be influenced heavily by your gear. I get that as a photographer and a videographer. I get that as an IT professional. I, you know, yes, I could probably have done my entire job from, uh, from my my past fifteen years, with nothing more than a Chromebook and a smartphone. Um, would I get the results that I wanted to get? No, because there's better tools available. There's better workflows available, and at a certain point, gear absolutely matters. Uh, because your skill set exceeds the production quality of the gear you're using. Now, can you be can you get to that level with a rental clarinet from Beacocks or whatever wherever you rented your um, clarinet from as a you, kid, you know like You can get to a certain level and and once you can you once you have that skill, you can make just about any instrument sing and that's kind of what I was making the the guitar right. you know comparison. I, I could grab a beginner clarinet and I could play uh, Artie Shaw's clarinet concerto. Uh, I, I could do... Uh, because your embouchure is what's important. Your, your skill your level technique, is your skill important. level. Right. And that's, and that's, I guess, what I'm getting at with this whole frames per second thing. Is what, like, what I will say is some instruments will not produce the sound I wanted, though. Some instruments, I couldn't do slides. Some instruments yeah. just they wouldn't respond the way you wanted it to. The spring weight wasn't right. The The hole wasn't just the right diameter to, to be able to slide off. And and so you would get uh, 
cracks and 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 yeah. weird overtones and things like that versus that's wasn't that wasn't the sound and the exact music that I was trying to produce and my skill was exceeding the instrument and, See, and what's, it is a and, thing and what's interesting is that it's like that's probably even more pronounced in today's world where you can hop on Amazon and buy even cheaper instruments than what was probably available when you were learning the clarinet, you know? Rhett, you were here the day I ordered two flutes. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, my daughter wants to learn how to play the flute. Um, I, way in a past life, was going to attempt to be a music teacher. Uh, and so I, I know a lot of instruments, uh, specifically woodwinds. Um, and... I was never terrific at the flute, but I never spent a lot of time on it. So I went, screw it. Uh, I might as well just order a flute and learn it and <laughs> and then try to teach my daughter. And so I ordered two flutes off Amazon for $195 <laughs> with cases and, and, and everything. And they're not bad. They're really not bad. Uh, no, I'm, I'm not, you know, a, a concert flautist uh but i am a concert clarinet clarinetist and uh, uh i will say from someone who has spent good time with a good number of woodwind instruments <laughs> those are not bad instruments uh and i've made the argument you know precision manufacturing has far exceeded you know the the yeah the learning curve in a number of different industries musical instruments is one of them you can get some dynamite musical instruments for under 300 dollars now and those are some interesting videos on YouTube when you find a uh, I played a one thousand dollar better sax. Versus, yeah, yeah, exactly. And then they go and buy the cheapest thing that they can on Amazon mm -hmm. and compare it. And it's just like, obviously, that's a professional with the professional skill. But that's what I was getting at with the frames per second thing. It's like, obviously, when you get good at an instrument and you want to keep progressing and you want to stick with it, like scaling up your instrument that's a natural progression and everybody knows that they mm -hmm. tell you that when you pick up your instrument for the first time like this is a beginner instrument this ain't going to take you all the way to carnegie mellon hall or whatever uh or whatever i don't know i couldn't think of a <laughs> venue is that even a venue <laughs> uh Look, it's if, not going to take if, you all the way to if i were a a dolly parton fan carnegie hall is definitely where i want to go <laughs> Okay. Well, Dolly Parton's Dolly shit, Parton's bro, wonderful. So. That was probably uh, a bad example on my part. <laughs> Who doesn't love Dolly Parton? Um, um, but they're very clear. At least, like I remember being in sixth grade, and I joined a band late in mm -hmm. sixth grade, and they they were like, "Look, we're going to run you these instruments, and if you get good, then you scale up, and you scale up, and you scale up." And and I did, and I eventually now it's like I've got professional level gear. Um, but when you're playing a game, I want to know what is the, like, if we're talking professional scale instruments or whatever, what is that? How does that translate to FPS? Here, like here, the protagonist is saying, here, it does make you better. And I don't doubt that. I'm sure it does. If okay. I'm playing against somebody who's got 30 frames and I got 120 frames, I have an advantage. Because you'll see but four I, to every one. Now, now here's, here's where I'll break this down. Uh, for those who have not seen the, the LTT video where they... Uh, basically pitted gamers against themselves in a skill competition of reaction time inside of Counter-Strike. 
they found that gamers were more accurate and had faster reaction times with higher uh, frame rate monitors than with 60. And so they, they tried 120 uh, and 240. Uh, and at 240 FPS, you're getting four frames for every one frame that is delivered on a 60 FPS monitor. That means you have more time to react, uh, your reactions will be faster, and you can more easily track where the target is and then pull the trigger. Um, and uh, everyone's score stayed the same or went up across the board. There was no one who scored worse on a 240 FPS monitor than on a 60. But what um, was the average curve, like, you know, it, like in terms of performance in, increase? In... I, I haven't seen the video, and I right that, out so. of, out of ten shots, they saw an increase of like twenty to thirty percent, if I remember correctly. Like like out of out of ten shots on on each, so so ten at sixty and ten at two forty, they saw maybe four hits at sixty, and they saw maybe seven hits at at two forty. But could that be justified as like we warmed up on sixty? I don't and now think we're good so. To go. I don't think so. Because it's like, I, I guess I'd have to watch the because video myself the, to understand the like right. testing model that they did. Because it's like, yeah. Now what I, I will go say is, when is, I go and play Valorant, I go mm -hmm. and hit my warm ups first. You know, I go and do my aim labs first. Absolutely. And and I'm my first couple aim labs, dog crap, man. Yeah. I'm awful. Got to get your but eye. By the time in. I do yeah. three, four, five, okay, I'm ready to play. Let's do competitive. Here we go. I'm not gonna embarrass my team. What um, I what I will say is there's definitely something to training with a particular set of equipment, uh, and yeah. and I've I've seen this in a number of different industries, not just speaking music, not just speaking tech. I, I've seen this, you know, when you get comfortable with the machine, when you get comfortable with the yeah. equipment that you're using, you know what the tolerances are, you know what your reaction time needs to be, and and I'm not speaking entertainment, and I'm not speaking art, I'm speaking like. That's everything. I, I used to run CNC, and and I could make twelve feet worth of CNC tables absolutely sing and bend to my will, and I would get in a rhythm with those machines because I knew exactly in my brain the timing of that machine, cleaning off, re oh, restacking stock, getting the next one started, you know, starting to clear off the next. And now we're getting into like evolutionary biology here because that ain't just CNC machines, man. That's that's as basic as swinging a hammer. Right. Right. Um, yeah. yeah, that that's just getting in rhythm with with you know a workflow and whatnot. And yeah. I, I got I would get into a workflow where I, I had two six foot by six foot tables that would slide in and out of the CNC machine, and uh, uh, on each table I would load twenty seven blocks. That was that was my standard standard layout. Uh, I made wood floor vents for a couple of years, uh, and uh, what would come to me were blanks. They were literally just like wooden blocks. Uh, they were either eight, 10 or 12 inches long. And uh, we would stack them in rows of three, three, three. And then I had three total columns. And so I had 27 blocks on a table. That was my average layout. Um, what would happen was two saw blades would come down and the table would pass under the saw blades. And the saw blades would cut the louvers for the floor vents that I was creating. Basically, if you put in a wood floor, we made vents to go with your wood floor. That was our bread and butter. Um, <coughs> anyway, uh, this CNC machine would cut so many vents and then move on to the next section and cut so many vents and then move on to the next section. Um, 
while one table is running, you're loading up the next table and, uh, and, and getting it all set up and making sure you know everything's tight to the edge so your tolerances are right, your gaps are right. Um, when one table is done, it slides back. And then on the CNC, you would say, advance to next table. And then the, that table would slide in. Well, then you've got to clear the sawdust off, off of table one. Um, you've got to measure your tolerances, make sure your, your machine is still aligned with where it should be. Because uh, we're talking, you know, 12 feet by, by three feet. 12 by six by three was about the working dimensions, working volume of the CNC machine. It was giant. Um, and I had a tolerance of five thou. Uh, so had to, had to be pretty precise. And so every single table that was ran, I would check my three measurements for, for thickness of the louver, uh, end gap on one side and then center, uh, gap between the, the two veins that went like this, the, you know, your center gap has to be a certain size as well. I would measure those three gaps, make sure the machine's still on track, stack everything up, put it aside, clean the table off, walk around the back of the machine, sweep up the sawdust, put it into the dust collector walk around the front, have just enough time to blow my face off real quick before I turned around and hit, uh, and, uh, uh, or no, sorry, walk back to the front of the machine, stack the new stock blocks onto, onto table one, have just enough time to blow my face off with the, with the air gun before I could turn around and hit start on table two and then start the whole process again. And uh, 30 seconds was all you had. It, it, it took 30 seconds to machine all those blocks. And, uh, I had it down to a science and that was just for like the standard stuff, let alone like, you know, custom cuts and custom CNC programs and working with the engineer to, to do things. And, um, you know, I, I was good at it. <laughs> I really liked yeah. what I did, but, yeah. uh, boy, how did we get all the way here? <laughs> 30 frames per second, my 30 friend. 30 frames per second. <laughs> um, what I will say is is going back oh right training on particular equipment and getting good enough with that equipment um what i will say is for someone who's never picked up a game before there is no difference you could game at 20 fps because they have no yeah. frame of reference for what is smooth when i was a kid 20 fps was kind of average uh yeah. you know 30 fps in doom ah chef's kiss you're you're running on a pentium 90 my friend um, you know, I was recently reminded of how poorly Doom runs on a 386. Uh, and, uh, you know. <laughs> and see, and that's, I guess that's the interesting thing is it, it really, you know, you kind of said it. It's like consistency is kind of an important aspect because I'm thinking about the way that I play a game mm -hmm. like Counter-Strike. It also depends on the game that you're playing and how you're right. playing it and what your experience wants to be. Um, and I, I'm I'm not a reflexive shooter anyway. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't have the if if I'm playing competitive Counter Strike, I'm not gonna be the one doing the flick shoots and 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 360 no scopes and all this sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm the guy that's shooting you because I knew where you were exactly the moment that you were there. Yeah. Because like that's what I, I have a level of map awareness. I have a level of game awareness. Mm -hmm. And in fact. Most of the time when I'm playing Counter-Strike or a game like Valorant or whatever, I, I I can't use my direct vision to play the game. I really can't. And uh, and that's that's something that you see um, 
I don't know, not in competitive games, but in, in a lot of types of situations like that, where your sort of like indirect vision is taking point. And it's not like I'm not looking at the screen or whatever. I'm looking at the screen, but I might be looking at my map and I've got, you know, my cursor up here and I'm, and I'm looking down here and I'm controlling this. Your indirect vision, your peripheral vision is more sensitive than your direct vision. And that's how I play those games. I'm never looking exactly where my cursor is. Mm-hmm. Because I've never had the reaction speed to be that type of gamer to begin with. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess when I'm hearing that they did science on this and I'm bitter about it, it's just like, <laughs> I guess it's because I've never been playing at 240 frames per second. I And right. I never, I don't know. I never will probably, but um, like, I'm still perfectly happy at, at 60. Yeah. I like monitors that go faster, but they don't need to because I don't play competitive shooters. I'm not in games to to be competitive i'm in games for entertainment and escape that's why i play games it's why i've always played games it's why i will always play games um and so do i need to get that you know extra four milliseconds uh in counter-strike uh to no i don't uh you know 60 seconds is 16.6 milliseconds uh or 60 frames per second is 16.6 milliseconds. Uh, 120 frames per second is 8.4 milliseconds, and then and then down from there. Once you get beyond 120, you're talking about sub millisecond improvements, and you can go down to you know 244 FPS is is what 2.3, 2.4 milliseconds, something like that. Yeah, it's faster than eight milliseconds, but the difference is uh, depreciating returns, and I guess when you put it into perspective of like millisecond response rates, mm-hmm. like that's a pretty big deal when I'm recording music and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like, and I've got a pretty high tolerance for large millisecond latency, but yeah, obviously, like, yeah, you know, the less is better, especially when you're recording music. But uh, I don't know, right. it's a little bit of a different game. You know, you're not reacting necessarily to. Well, what's happening on screen if, you're sort if, of if you're recording music absolutely it's a difference because uh you know even even you know two or three milliseconds can throw you off of yeah. a, a beat or a rhythm if you're trying to anticipate or accurately come in or you know there yeah it does make yeah. a difference when you talk about how your body gets used to stuff, and I remember going to work for a professional music studio, and uh, I, <laughs> I had confessed to them that I had been recording with like a twelve to sixteen millisecond delay, uh, with a twelve to sixteen millisecond latency, and they were just like, "Yo, we try to aim for less than four yeah. in the studio." Yeah. <laughs> you were a and whole frame behind, and they were at two forty FPS. Like that's what that was. That's that difference. But it's funny because you listen to all the things that I recorded or produced, and it's like you can't, you can't tell. But ultimately, what I think it really boils down sorry, to 240 is FPS is is I just got used to it. Sorry, 240 FPS is actually 4.1 millisecond because uh, 60 FPS is 16.6 millisecond, 16.67. Um, and so uh, when you put it in perspective in music, I guess like I guess I never thought about it that way. Right. In terms and of that. and four millisecond you can deal with 16 millisecond. That's it's longer than you want it to be. That's the difference between 60 and 61 beats per minute. That yeah. I mean that's and Jesus. and that is human perceptible. 
So, yes. It is. Yeah, I mean, it's enough that I got made fun of at the studio for like a whole year. <laughs> <laughs> Rightfully, you were at 16 millisecond walking into a studio? Well, I'm telling you, though, like when I recorded music, I just got used to it, you mm -hmm. know, like mm -hmm. and I could compensate for it. So that what yeah. I was playing, what I was playing was in such a way that when I played back and heard the recording, it was right. Okay. You know, yeah. I just got I just got so used to it, you know? It's like a drummer it's like a drummer playing just in the pocket, you know, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like you and and I guess that's where I was coming from. It was like, well, okay, what I'm playing if I'm playing exactly with the click, it's not right. So I'll just compensate. Yeah. No, I've you know? I've never been able to play with any amount of latency in a monitor ever. Like I I can't. Yeah. I it, it physically pains me. Uh, like, and I'm not really exaggerating <laughs> that statement. Um, Honestly, it takes it takes like 24 milliseconds or more to like really throw me oof. off. <laughs> oof. Oh, uh, but again, I think that comes from just being rhythm section my whole life. The idea of like, oh, just dial it back, just dial it back, just pull back, or bring it up bring it up bring it up right you know, yeah like... you're used to playing on the tail or the front edge of, yeah. of of a rhythm whereas me as more of the bass player or in some cases the soloist or lead player um you're you're expected to be on it. right there yeah. right there and and where this is gonna this is gonna hurt some drummers feelings but drummers are often reactive yeah because you don't want to be wrong you, you, you're more noticeable when you're wrong. Um, yeah. And so if, if you notice a soloist is playing behind the beat, you need to then play behind the beat to match what they're doing. Yeah. However, if you play in front of the beat, you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. So there, there's some truth to that personality wise and, and whatever else. So yeah, yeah. Of, of course the lazy drummer is okay with 45 FPS. <laughs> <laughs> 45 is a bit much. Oh, well, I you guess we're 30. talking games. You you're 30. right. You're right. Sorry, sorry. I was thinking milliseconds. Right. Yeah, but yeah, but anyway, wrapping this up, like yeah. there's not a single 30, person 30 alive. Totally there's not a single person alive. And if there are, they're probably wrong. Uh, who is going to argue against Tears of the Kingdom getting game of the year? A game that runs on the Nintendo Switch, which is Kepler era mobile hardware for, for mobile phones. It's an NVIDIA Tiger T1 that runs at 720p sometimes. And 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 I don't think you can argue against whatever because it's like, number one, it's not competitive. And I don't know. And I guess this is where I always come at it from. I'm just like, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm sounding like a broken record. I'm sounding like a Luddite in so many ways. But it's just like, I when I played PC games, man, for the longest time, I was happy to get 20 frames per second, you know, if I wanted to play the latest games. Like, I remember getting my cracked copy of Rome Total War and running it on my freaking GeForce 3 and just like scraping by, having to keep my army sizes like so low. Like, just to run the game mm -hmm. or to just avoid the battles altogether and just play it like I was playing civilizations. And I don't know, man. 
I yeah. just never never bothered me. If I wanted to play a game, it didn't matter how bad it ran. Counter Strike. Counter Strike. You're gonna get a better experience. And and I will say, in general, first person shooters, uh, you're probably gonna get a better experience on faster frame rate monitors. Adventure games, it, it matters a it little matter. less. Role playing yeah. games probably matters a little less. Racing games probably matters a little more. Uh, yeah. You know, it's it's what is the game that you're playing and what is um, uh, um, what is your expectation and acceptable level of right. of latency? And uh, you know, we're, right. we're we're going in chat right now. Thirty FPS is thirty three point two milliseconds because it's twice as long as sixty. And uh, uh, and and every every measure is is half of that. So again, you know, eight point eight point three is one hundred and twenty frames per second. Uh, right. The forty five is twenty four milliseconds. And so the difference between sixty FPS and forty five FPS is as much as it is between one hundred and twenty and sixty FPS. To put that into perspective. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's exponentially better as you go up the scale, but also it's exponentially worse. So if if we're talking 30 FPS with a low of 20, you're you're talking frame rate variations of of in the tens of milliseconds. If we're talking 240 FPS with a low of 120, you're talking three millisecond differences, which is still I perceptible. Still think- I'll I'll admit that my perception on this has has been altered a little bit since thinking about it this way, but I would still like to see like top tier, world tier like Counter Strike player yeah going up again like going head to head with like a good a good Counter Strike player. One hat, one locked at thirty frames, one locked at two forty. You know, I want to see like what do the frames really matter when you're that level against somebody who might be a right. little bit less? Is it going to take you above that? That would be interesting to to take a right. couple Counter Strike teams and make them swap between two forty and yeah, 60. right. Because exactly. you know, because like I I didn't want to come fully out and say, but Linus's experiment was very unscientific. It was it was very anecdotal. Of, right. This felt and, better, and we did slightly better in in and in the and, and green test. protagonist green protagonist did come back and said like, you should watch the video. It's not the most scientific thing ever. Mm-hmm. He he equated it to MythBusters, which I do think MythBusters they were pretty good about science and all that, but. They were. But I like the idea. I, I like the idea of they like have the some results they can aspect. publish. So right, you know, suck it. And, and I like I, I like the idea of like the punk aspect of it. Like we're trying to do science and it's not perfect. Right. I'm gonna go and watch the video because I am. But we're making you think. And, exactly. And, and that's exactly. what I always loved about MythBusters and their approach to the scientific method. Um, and that's that's honestly my draw to to Linus uh, and and the way they do things and it's kind of how I do things is, is yeah. I'm not necessarily looking to be the only answer or the source of information. I'm getting you to ask better questions as a consumer. Plus, and plus it's yet another metric. It's another point mm-hmm. in the graph. You know what I mean? It's, it doesn't have to be the be all end all. Mm-hmm. It can be a piece of the puzzle, right? It can be a piece of the solution. Right. And if you got 10 people's, 
average result well you can go and find your own average result within that mm -hmm. you know it's it's this whole thing i mean it's and it's useful it's not meaningless right um but yeah no my, my whole thing is i i love not in a narcissistic or or you know bigoted way but i love telling people that they should ask why um, you know, why is something this? Why is something that? Because why leads to expanding knowledge. It, it leads to you trying to find out why. Why is 240 better than 60? And is it always the case or is it sometimes the case? Are there some cases that make up for the lack of cases? Is there, you know, and, and down the road right. we go. Um, Hey, Tech Tech Potato. Hey, hey, I'm currently at 42,000 feet. Finally caught it live again. Hey, hello from way above the earth. Uh, you know, the last plane that I took got to 10,000 feet and then, okay, we're starting our descent. <laughs> Straight back down. <laughs> it's an hour you know, and 20 minute flight. It's my last one. <laughs> you know, Ian emailed me personally to say that I wasn't awesome. So, uh... <laughs> Rhett is awesome. You know, I've met him, and that's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> and I subscribed to your newsletter, man. Come on. I mean, I get that it was the free tier, but come on. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> Classic British humor, you know? They're just always joking over there. I know. Um, I love that always when... Always good for a laugh. I, I love that when Ian was at my house, uh, I'm like, well, I know I know you're not much of a beer drinker, but let's try this one. I've got the uh, Goose Island Bourbon County Stout, uh, the Grey Bottle, which is made with Earl Grey tea. And he goes, did you pick that because I'm British? And I went, I might have. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, funny. This, doesn't Earl Grey, like, I feel like it only, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Ian can clarify this. But I feel like it only has a connotation of being like, well, I don't know. It Do, do we get connotated in America with British because of Star Trek more? No, I, I, look, tea was a big thing. I don't know if you were. Well, yes, I get that, right. you know. Right. Um, and, and the thing with Brits is if it was a big thing at one point, it's still a big thing. It's still a big deal. Like, nothing ever dies. Yeah, they, they can't let it go. They can't let it go, you know. East Indian Trading Company is alive and well. Um, so, the monarchy. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> oh, I wish I could be sitting behind Ian when he sees this. Um, but, uh, but no, I, I believe Earl Grey was still very popular even before Jean-Luc Picard. And, and, and in fact, there's a, a larger likelihood that the Brits started going against Earl Grey because Jean-Luc Picard is French. <laughs> you know, Patrick Stewart wanted uh, Captain Picard's tea to be Lapsang Souchong. Yeah, La Lapsang Souchong, yeah. Which was, which was Winston Churchill's tea of choice. Mm -hmm. My tea said, of choice. Winston, I, I, you you so mentioned good. this on a Talking Heads like three yeah, years ago. Right, I've been drinking yeah. that tea ever since. It is so good. And what annoys me was there was a grocery store in my neighborhood that sold it at regular Twining's tea price. I could go and buy it for the same price as English breakfast tea uh, or Irish breakfast tea or 
Earl Grey or whatever, and now they don't sell it. And if I want to order it on Amazon, it's like $10 a box. $10 a box. Like, what? Get out of here. I mean, it's a great tea, but... <laughs> Ian says, I'm a serious Shakespearean actor. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a great anecdote and uh, uh, about how uh, uh, Patrick Stewart's agent said, hey, we got a, we got a call for this sci-fi show, Star Trek. They're, they're trying to reboot it. Uh, Gene Roddenberry asked for you specifically, and... I don't think it's going to make it past one season, but you might as well fly out to L.A., get a paycheck. Make some money. Make some yeah. money. You know, go back, do do your plays, do whatever else. And uh, uh, and so Picard came in as as Patrick Stewart, and, and Patrick Stewart was, was very much a, a Broadway Shakespearean actor. He, you know, uh, very regimented, very rigid. Um, I show up. I do my job. I expect the rest of you to do your job. God damn. Yeah. And uh, whereas L.A. culture's a little looser. A little different. A little looser. Uh, and, and, and we have that same difference like East Coast, West Coast personalities. You know, East Coast, you know, 5 o'clock if you're working late at the office, it means you can unbutton your blazer. Uh, West Coast, it's like, hell, 4.30, I'm cracking a beer, and 5 o'clock means I can put on shorts. Like, <laughs> we just have yeah. different mentalities about what is proper and serious and, and everything else. And and then you go to Hawaii, and it's a whole different thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, there, from season one, I, I guess there's this famous now rant that Patrick Stewart gave on the set after like a 12-hour day about he had never been... Uh, forced to work with such incompetent, disrespectful, unprofessional group of actors in his entire life, and and was genuinely like pissed. And I want out and screw this contract. I'm walking because Jonathan Frakes and Brett Spiner and whatnot. Yeah, would crack jokes in between. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a really big thing. If you're ever on TikTok, you get on the Star Trek TikTok and yeah. And- and they talk about that all the time about how they eventually cracked the egg mm-hmm. that was Patrick Stewart and yeah. brought him out into the not saying he wasn't the charming human being that we all know and love today, but maybe he would be slightly less charming and lovely than we know. Uh, but yeah, um, yeah, just a just a great story all around because next generation transformative for everybody. Yes, yeah, not just Patrick Stewart. Yeah, us too. Us too. Yeah. Um, did you ever watch the show that made Brent Spiner famous? This is a tricky one. Probably not. It doesn't sound familiar. Brent Spiner was a recurring guest character on a show called Night Court. Never even heard Ooh, of it. Classic early 80s television. Um, one of my favorite shows ever. Um, gosh, hold on. So it was set in New York City. Uh, Harry Anderson, comedian, juggler, extraordinaire. Uh, John Larroquette. Mm. Yes, you're saying so many names of which people that are commonplace knowledge and that I, I even know that I am intimately familiar with and absolutely positively can identify on the street. 
I, I'm appalled that you don't know who John Larroquette is. That 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 deeply offends me on on a pretty pretty serious level. You misunderstood me. Of course I know who John Larroquette is. Okay. Of course I know who's John Larroquette. The man. He's in Night Court, man. Come on. <laughs> See, this is this is why I can't argue with you. Is you just go in a circle of bullshit constantly. This is John Larroquette. Uh oh. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think I've seen his face before. Yeah. Um, and there's Anchor Steam, uh, baby. There's Anchor Steam, right? The beer that's going away forever. No, uh, what? You didn't? Yeah, that's my dad's beer. Yeah, Anchor Brewing, uh, touted as the oldest craft brewery in America. Um, no, which which is arguable, but yeah, Anchor Brewing out of San Francisco, they are ceasing national distribution and uh, killing a couple of their main franchise beers, one of which is Anchor Steam Beer. Oh, dude, yeah, my dad lived in San Francisco for years, and uh, and for his 55th birthday, mm -hmm. it was, you know, like the mid-aughts, and my stepmom realized, you can order this shit online and have it delivered. He hadn't had it in decades because it was like the time... It was a time, like, if you wanted to have a specific beer, you had to be where that beer was made. Yeah. But we ordered it online. We got cases and cases of this stuff delivered to our door. And, uh, yeah, what am I, uh, yeah, well, anyway, that's, that's sad. Yeah. That's heartbreaking. That's almost as sad as when, like, the Rainier Brewery went away. Right. I mean, Rainier survived. Yeah. <laughs> Rainier survived the destruction Did and they... sale of its own brewery. <laughs> Dude, I bought a six-pack of Pounder Rainiers at Costco the other day for less than $6, so. You still owe me a, a, a case. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I was thinking that. I you was thinking that when I, I was at Costco. They didn't have pub beer, yeah. so I figured I had to go to a regular grocery store where they sell the peasant stuff. But... Yep, yep. <laughs> I didn't forget. I was just thinking that the other day. It's still a good-looking beer in this glass in particular. It really is. It really is. The, the, the light beers, they don't give the contrast to the etching, but the dark beers, like, really make it pop. So. So, can you, but could Anchor really be considered, like, the oldest craft They brewery? Like, when did Anchor come out? I thought it was, like, really early. Yeah. Again, it's What's a contested. craft brewery considered in this It's contested, regard. because technically any brewery that started in America would be a craft brewery. Um, and are they just like, yeah, because it avoided, uh, like, ownership by a giant conglomerate or whatever. Like, right, right. Kind of like indie game studio or whatever at this right. point, you know? Yeah. If, Although even now, yeah, even now, like, indie game companies take money from major publishers and they're like, you're AAA now, you're not indie. <laughs> I Yeah, I thought Anchor came out in, like, 1890 or something or, like, somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah. Man. See, Yungling claims that they're the oldest at 1829. Um, Jesus Christ, that's yeah, old, right? Right. Um, let's Wait see. Wait a minute, Sam. Adams. Where are they from? Where's Yungling from? Yungling is Massachusetts. What? Yungling, hold on. Craft beer, Yungling. Uh, gosh, where is he? Quickly. 
Philly. I'm, I'm Somebody looking, says I'm it's looking. from Philly. Philly. Okay. Yeah. Pottsville, Pennsylvania. Not even Philly. Pottsville, Pennsylvania, is Yungling. Yeah. Okay. But they knew they knew it was a PA beer. So right. good on you, Michael. I, I knew it was East Coast. And but is honestly, Pottsville, I, is Pottsville going to be? I missed like, it by one border, which is not bad for the East Coast. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty um, cool. I bet you Pottsville is going to be like, you know, freaking Beaverton to Portland or something like yeah. that. You know, it's going to be like some suburb of. Yeah. Uh, Anchor Brewing founded 1896. Lone... I was close. Right. Uh, Lone Star Brewery, 1883. Uh, Genesee Brewery, uh, 1878 from Rochester, New York. Coors, Wait, what, what... 1873. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but Coors ain't, Coors ain't craft? What is this? It's not. It, it's <laughs> oldest breweries in America. Okay. I'm just okay, going okay. down. Okay. 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 Uh, Leinenkugel, uh, 1867, Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. The hell is Leinenkugel? Is this still around? Oh, yeah. It, it's the domestic lager before domestic lagers were a thing. Leinenkugel is the original, like, domestic lager. Can I still buy a Leinenkugel yes. somewhere? Yes. Really? How do you not know Leinenkugel? I don't know, man. Okay. I gotta drink beer with Yakima Valley Hops, okay. you know? Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, Frankenmuth Brewery, 1862. Frankenmuth, Michigan. Shells Brewery in New Ulm, Minnesota, 1860. Stevens Point Brewery, 1857, Wisconsin. Uh, Fredericks Stevens Miller's Point, Plank yeah. Road Brewery, 1855, Milwaukee. Anheuser-Busch, 1852, St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, Pabst, 1848. Uh, we still living high off that blue ribbon. That's right. Uh, Minas Brewing, 1845. Yungling, 1831 or 1829. Those are disputed. Good Lord. Yep. So. 1829. Anchor, Anchor, it's on the list at 1896. That's so, impressive, man. Yeah. Arthur Morgan was still alive. Uh, Ian says, LOL, 1800s. Very cute America. Signed, Europe. <laughs> oh, hey. Good for you, Europe. Uh, hey, hey, Europe. Um, how are all your colonies doing? <laughs> we still have all of ours. <laughs> and some of yours, as it turns out. I'm sorry, Europe. Is being old going to help you avoid climate catastrophe? Okay, we're all in this shit together. Yep. We're all doomed. So, <laughs> uh. oh, that's cute. We have a history that goes back to the very first genocide, and not like this pretend <laughs> one that you guys did. <laughs> Boy, if we weren't demonetized, we are now. <laughs> oh, come on, YouTube! It's comedy. <laughs> Where's Pot Tucker, Patriot, or Duff? Uh, yeah. Uh, Spectre says, Rhett, I'll try to bring some lining kugels out to the next PDX uh, LAN. I'll be there. There we go. Yeah, man. I, 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 some of these I'm listening to, I'm like, and these are still around. I've never. Uh, lining kugels is one I'm like. Okay. Uh, Tech Tech Potato says, yeah, but you don't let them vote. We also don't make them pay taxes. Maybe that was a key. <laughs> <laughs> yeah see and chris uh chris here says uh Weihen stefan monastery brewery almost a thousand years in germany 
Yeah, but Vihen Stefan is sold in my hometown, man. I can go down the street, literally right here, mm -hmm. and I can buy their beer. Like, so when the yeah. other breweries are, you know. But also, yeah, obviously, thousands. Why are we talking about the ages of our countries? We get it. Yeah. We invented airplanes, for God's sake. Why are we talking about getting drunk? <laughs> Not only did we invent airplanes, we also landed on the moon. The highest you've been is about 42,000 feet. <laughs> I think there has been a British astronaut. USA! <laughs> <laughs> I don't get very patriotic unless all of this old-timey Europe bullshit comes out. That's right. <laughs> and all of a sudden... I get a Boston accent and I get real patriotic. <laughs> uh, how has he not heard about Lyman Kugel's Honey Vice? Uh, I have no idea. Um, I don't know. Why is every, how does everybody know about this and I don't? I, I, I'm, I'm surprised you don't know about Lyman Kugel's. Look, but I, I've drank Anchor Steam it's, before, though. So. Right, but <laughs> Lyman Kugel is kind of like right up there with like Rainier. Like the, the prestige that you hold Rainier in is kind of the prestige that Lyman Kugel's has. It's like the yeah, that's oh. my brewery. And where's Lightning Google's from? Uh, Wisconsin, isn't it? Maybe that. Maybe that's Milwaukee. it, right? See, he says Lightning Google with Rhett's last name, but is Lightning Google? That can't be a German word. Although in Wisconsin, are you sure? Maybe, yeah, Chippewa Falls, is. Wisconsin. That whole area is that whole area is German. Lightning Google so does maybe. not sound German enough. God dang, maybe it is. I don't know. It's right there with uh, Frankenmuff. <laughs> See, I'm of the German heritage. We skipped the whole Lutheran aspect in the middle of America. Right, right. We brought all of those things with us, like the little, like the little, um, uh, what, what are they called? The pinwheel wraps, the little, uh, with the pickle and the mayonnaise and the ham. You know, we brought those with us over here, but uh -huh. we skipped being there and just came over here. So, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we got the little pickle wraps, but... It's Prussian. <laughs> I, I love how Ian's now trying to justify how we got to the moon. We couldn't have done it without all those German defectors. Hey, that's true. That, that is Good. very true. <laughs> well, if you guys would have won the war without us, you could have got to the moon first. I guess. Right, right. Had you been able to hold London. You know, though, can't can't give it up. British, the British did their part. They gave us they gave us the technology that led directly to radar technology, which was pretty paramount. Yep. Um, I I do love the the general story of World War Two. Everyone's fighting around the U.S. The U.S. goes, "That's everyone else's problem," and <laughs> and our shipping lines are hit, and we're like, "Well, that's only hitting you know personal businesses and whatnot." And then they bomb Pearl Harbor, and we're like, "All right." <laughs> Enough of this I, crap! I heard it. There's a saying that's popular in historians: is World War II was won with Russian blood, British grit, and American steel. Because without the British to hold the line for as long as they did, and yeah. they did, you know, I mean, yeah. I mean, the Blitz was no easy thing, and and uh, you know, the constant bombing raids and rationing, you know. They went through some serious stuff, but the Russian cost in life was pretty astronomic. And uh, but we came in and just out manufactured everybody that's ever existed up until yep. that point. 
Yep. <laughs> no, no. U.S. manufacturing, I mean, it was at an all-time high, and now we're kind of at an all-time low again uh, as, as yeah. far as domestic manufacturing goes. But there's a reason you're like, oh, no, that's a Jeep, but it's a Ford. It's because, hey, Ford, you're going to make Jeeps now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now y'all got spy balloons. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we couldn't. Uh, we could have won the war if you weren't selling to both sides. Hey, that was only for a couple of years, okay? Capitalist and a capitalist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, look, you only have yourselves to blame for losing uh, the, the American colonies. So th yeah. that wouldn't have been an issue if you could have kept a rain on. Yeah. <laughs> I do love a good tea party. Amazing, right? Mm-hmm. I remember during the 100 days of protests during early uh, mid-2020, you know, everybody's going crazy, burning police stations down and stuff. And people are like, this is outrageous. Our country isn't built on protesting. <laughs> it's just like the Boston Tea Party is regarded as the single most destructive and effective protest, protest of all time. And when you value and especially like historians look at the way that they had stored and shipped tea up until that point mm -hmm. and it was this sort of like not vacuum sealed because they didn't have but almost like dried compressed yeah. version of tea yeah yeah and you and it was just epic amounts of tea it wasn't these loose leaf tea bags that they just chucked into the it was epic amounts of compressed compressed tea, tea. In, in compressed blocks into crates <coughs> and we busted all the crates open and then shuck, <coughs> ripped apart the blocks and shucked them into Boston Harbor yeah and it's like no even if you recover the bricks they're going to be useless uh, was the whole idea of it yeah <laughs> it's just crazy yep oh uh, wild history what are you gonna do <laughs> Uh, Ian, we need to get on a show again sometime because that was fun. <laughs> yeah, next time you're not on a plane, yeah, you got well, a free Wednesday, or next time we are on a plane, hell, like we could be in a on a plane at six p.m. Pacific time. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you what, next time Jeff's indisposed, and I need a and I need a guest host to help me. There you go. We're gonna get we're gonna get Ian for this. There you go. <laughs> Be the Rhett and Ian show. Oh, God. <laughs> Good luck, Craft Computing. Morrowind, Rainier, and Cider. <laughs> See y'all at, at LTX? Most certainly Absolutely. will, my friend. Absolutely. Good times. And uh, if anyone else is going to LTX, I will be there as well. Uh, signing autographs, kissing babies, whatever else. Uh, selling merchandise across country lines i'm probably going to bring a couple of uh, cases of pint glasses with me and maybe some other merch so hey come come look me up i'll, I'll have some swag there uh anyway if you like this show thumbs up button subscribe to craft computing if you haven't done so already follow me on the social medias at craft computing uh ret any good of the order any Oh God, I don't know. Keep an eye. Go, go subscribe to Craft Extra if you haven't done so already. It's our sister channel, and uh, clips are going to be slowing down there for the time being. But you can expect some additional content. I'm going to be slowly trickling out. I got some videos coming out. I know Jeff 
had some ideas that he wants to throw up. And, it, you know, if you want some things that we can't put on craft computing, that's the place that you're going to find it. Uh, otherwise, you know, I'm hanging tight on Twitter at Red is Awesome, or you can go to my website, uh, redisawesome.com, where some of my other things are put up from time to time. Not always, but, you know, from time to time. You, so, you seem to always have a pet project going on, and, and that's coming from someone with not. a lot of pet projects. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I can't not have a pet project. I don't know what's wrong with me. I, I, I'm, uh, I'm going like, I'm rebuilding my deck and I'm creating my own <laughs> merch with laser engravers in my garage and I'm currently remodeling the interior of my camper. Where do you find the time to... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's always the time before you get to it is unlimited. Yeah. So you just spread yourself as thin as possible and hope for the best. Uh, uh, that's ADHD, so... Hold on, Alice says Super Chats. Oh. I'm not seeing Super Chats. Is my... Oh, there was one. Alice, yeah, Alice had one. Yeah, do we want to hit a couple of these real quick? Because I think there was one couple. more. I don't I've have got any... one from Alice, one from Green. Can you read and them? Because we... I'm not seeing them. Let's start with Green, because Green went first go, quite go a while ago. Five dollars from Green Protagonist Returnal, roguelike third-person shooter, little like 3D Metroid, a little bit like a bullet hell. Award-winning from the PS5. It's on Steam, and uh, he mentioned it outside of a uh, outside of a super chat. And Returnal is one of those games. It looks really great. Uh, Skull put a, might be putting some of these in Discord if you want to take a look, but uh, it looks like a great game. I highly recommend nice. it. And uh, if it's on Steam, we have little to no excuse. Um, Alice Osaka says, if I can find it again, Osako, sorry, $5. But the real father of craft beer was Jack McCliffe. I don't know. I tried my best to say that without sounding like an idiot. Jack McAuliffe? Jack McCliffe. Um who founded New Albion Brewery in 1976. Interesting. 1976 craft beer. That really feels to me personally like when the craft beer movement got started. The 70s, uh, yeah. It was definitely, yeah, right? Like, but... It's about when Sierra Nevada yes. started coming out. It's about when... Right, so that's, um, that's how I, mean, I don't understand You got Stone that... in like 1990. Um, right. uh, so yeah, the, the, the late 70s to early 90s was kind of the... Hey, we can make our own beer. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I and I remember like going up like in mid two thousands. This is a whole we're getting out of whack here, but like mid two thousands, going up to Seattle and being like, "Wow, there's a whole craft beer scene that isn't accessible or relevant or anything in Oregon." You know, it was like a whole other world. Um, anyway, back then it was all individual little cells of scenes. Yeah. Uh, Let's see, did Skull say something? Cool, cool. Uh, we got them both. Thanks, Skull. Okay, cool deal. I don't know why they're they're not showing up in my chat. I'm on the YouTube studio page. I'm on the the studio stream page where all my, I, I have nothing. I'm scrolling. I don't see them. I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry about that, guys. I saw them the whole time, but we got really involved in Star Trek and frames per second talk. As, as, um, as Tech Tech Potato says, best to buy merch, not super chats. Uh, you can buy 
bottle openers for eight dollars uh craftcomputing.store uh pint glasses for 13 uh we've got rocks glasses for 14 we've got whiskey stones for 20 um we've got coasters two for 12 i think gorgeous two for 10 no two for 10 that's right uh yeah we've got our our circuit design we've got our our logo we've also got a brand new floppy disk coaster which uh has actually been selling really well as of late yeah it's a fun one yeah go check those out anyway ian says it's mcauliffe McAuliffe. I think I was close. I'll have to watch the video again. I don't think I said, but... that's not what I. Not I what said Macaulay or something. I was close. I don't think I said Macaulay, but I was close. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> we'll play it back later. And find Whatever. Out. Good luck to me. Cool. All right. Anyway, that's going to be episode 289 of Talking Heads. Join us every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Pacific time for the latest in beer. And tech news. As always, I'm Jeff. I'm Rhett. And we'll see you next week. Cheers, all. Cheers, everyone. Crap, where's my page at? There it is. Bye. (laughs) All right, we're out.